I yeah. must remember not to go over the top. I do worry about it. You know, last time when I <laughs> took the mick out yeah. of Prince Charles. Oh, I love Prince Charles. He's a fantastic guy. <laughs> you know. Hello and welcome to Wiggly Wiggler's podcast. We're sat here in rural Herefordshire. Richard and I, fairly dull day, I'd say. Yeah, but, a bit uh, grim, yeah, a bit wintry. Yeah. This week, uh, we want to talk a bit about what Wiggly Wigglers is, um, but we've also got Phil the Farmer coming in. We've got Monty doing his worm cast, and we've got Alison bringing in Plants of the Week, one of my utter favourites, so we'll wait to see what that is. And we've got a book review, which is what we're going to start with, and it's Save Cash and Save the Planet. Oh, wow, that's easy then. Job done. And Jonathan Ross does the start. At last, a friendly read that can help you save your money while saving the planet. Becoming a domestic eco-warrior has never been so easy or so cool. Oh, God. Sickening. <laughs> An eco-warrior. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it, kinda, it gives you that impression, doesn't it? When you, when you read the cover and you think, oh, my God. You know, it's, uh, it definitely gives that impression. It is a Friends of the Earth publication, so you, you immediately conjure up all sorts of images of tree-hugging and the like, but <laughs> but it's not. Actually, it's not like that at all, you know. It's a really, really good book. One of the most interesting books I've read for ages. Even though I was, I guess I was aware of some of the issues, of a lot of the issues that they talk about, it really does put it all into context. It's easy reading, and it would appeal to every type of person. To, well, uh, if they open the book. Are they going to open the book? Uh, I think they'll. I think they'll probably open the book because it's, it's colourful. It's attractive in the sense that it's going and it just say save cash, which is obviously something that's on most people's minds all the time. If, if there are ways and means of saving your money, or at least saving your money to spend it on things you like, then that's always, that's always got to be an incentive to pick a book up. Yeah, I mean, I just turned to the farming and wildlife page, and it says people are hungry or starve because they haven't got any land to farm, or because food isn't where it's needed due to war or natural disasters. Or because they can't afford it. Hmm. So you you like it, don't I you? I do. I thought it was great. I I read some last night. We we weren't sure whether we were going to review this book right up until well yesterday, were we? So uh, I read some last night, and then I got up this morning at half past five and read some more. Yeah. Uh, just to give myself an idea of what it was all about, and it's got everything you need to know about living sustainably and more importantly happily. Yeah. There are some real pertinent extracts in that book. That, uh, that that struck me. This this really applies to most of us here. This is a, something that uh, a woman called Kate Moore has written. She's 33, business development manager. She wrote, Five years ago, I worked as a management consultant for a firm of accountants in London. I lived a frantic life, flying and driving all over the place, living out of a hotel room during the week, stressed, not doing enough exercise, drinking and smoking too much, all in the pursuit of a fat salary and career glory. Then I took a year out to travel the world with my husband, including a 3,000-mile cycle ride through Europe. I came home and did an MSc in corporate social responsibility, studying the ways in which environmental and social issues affect companies. Now, this changed my life. She continues, We now live in a cottage in the New Forest. I work locally for an environmental not-for-profit firm. We are starting to grow some of our own food. We have super-insulated our house. We are having solar water heating installed and are considering rainwater harvesting and end-of-floor heating. Uh, we shop locally and try to avoid supermarkets, buying organic where possible and watching the food miles. We recycle, compost and try to consume less. We do a lot more exercise, both in the garden and through cycling and doing a lot of water sports. 
In essence, we are trying to reduce our footprint in as many ways as we can. I'm 33. My former colleagues think we're turning into the good life couple. <laughs> but, Barbara and Tom. Yeah, but Nothing hey, wrong with that. But hey, we're happy. And I think that kind of really underlines everything that she's just said, is the fact that she is happy. So whilst you can strive, you can work and, and as hard as you possibly can for, for kind of material wealth, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. You just you work and you, you think, well, that would be nice, you know, you need to work and work and get more money to buy more and stuff like that. And, and this, this book sort of underpins the fact that you don't need loads in your life material wealth isn't that important you obviously need to generate an income Hmm. but get it into perspective but don't you think also there's a balance to be had i mean that is a fairly extreme thing to do it is this i suppose this this example is quite extreme in a sense that this couple are are embracing all sorts of new initiatives and kind of change their lifestyle completely but what it does exemplify is you can live sustainably by doing relatively simple things yeah I'm a great believer in small steps. Yeah. And the thing that I liked about this book was that you can pick and choose. You know, that's fantastic that that person has done that. But even if you want to do small things, you could actually find and source product in there or yeah. ways of altering what you do. Lots of little tips, lots of tips, lots of tips about saving energy in the home, lots of tips about growing your own food, lots of tips about shopping, lots yep. of tips about reusing things. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, people, people, lots of people automatically assume that organic food is, is better than, <laughs> now that's know, than a big stroke, conventionally grown yeah. food. But, of course, the reality is that if you buy tomatoes from your local farmer down the road yep. rather than buy organic tomatoes from Chile, Spain or say, Chile, something, yep. then obviously, you know, the, the air miles, the travel miles, that fruit is, is subject to, yep. are going to be considerably less if you buy them from, yep. the, from the guy down the road. And also, you're supporting your local economy. Yeah, that's a, that's a pet Heather subject. Yeah. And so I'm sure people have got views on that because many times we'll be asked about organic gardening at Wiggly Wigglers. So if you've got a view on that, Contact Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. We're really pleased because lots of your emails have actually started to come in. So we know the bits that you like and the bits you don't like, and we're not saying yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, so it, it's on to the chocolate rating, Rich. Chocolate I rating. Mean, well, well, the chocolate, the chocolate rating is it's difficult. I think this, this, this it's book. It's difficult because you keep picking milk. Uh, uh, yeah, milk. It is. A, uh, I'm afraid. You know. <laughs> No! I'm afraid. <laughs> I'll read this as another Milka book for my part. It's a great book because you can you can dip into it. It's it's really informative, but moreover, it's really interesting. So in actual fact, whilst you can dip into it, once you start reading it, you really do want to read more. You think, oh, that's a, really, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, uh, and I think just, what we need now, I think really actually we should sack Richard. Please, please. We need a more realistic, negative kind yeah. of view yeah. because, you know, everything, no. every book that I give him, They're not realistic. He, he just gives it milk. <laughs> I'll tell you milk-a. what we'll do. Yeah. We'll try and get some awful book yeah, for next, next week. Next week, we'll have a dodgy yeah. book. Um, so just to remind the listener of what the chocolate rating is, Hershey's. Hershey's is, is, is Oof, disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nestle, it's okay. Cadbury's, uh, fine. Fair to Midland. Yeah, Galaxy. Don't and oh, you've forgotten that, actually, you see, minstrels have got Galaxy in them. Minstrels, <laughs> 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 yeah. Galaxy minstrels. Yeah, no mess Galaxy then. And yeah. then we've got, most fantastic of all, Melt in Your Mouth, Purple Wrapper, Milko! Yeah, so this is a milker. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard. You are sacked. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because it, some of this book... Shut up!
We've been joined by Farmer Phil. Hello, Phil. Hi. Some listeners have asked us, why are you doing this podcast? What's it all about? So I thought it'd be quite useful if we just had a chat about who we are, what we're doing, and why we're actually bothering to do this. Because there's no direct reason, I suppose. No. What do you think, Rich? What it does do, I suppose, is it gives us an opportunity to kind of talk to people. So I spoke to somebody the other day, and, and they said, she, she said, gosh, it's like talking to a real celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, oh thank you very God. much. Thank you, thank you. It's I was gone kind of to humbled, his head. Humbled, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. But no, so I think that's, that's, that's what it's all about, really. And, and the book that we've just reviewed, there's so much... You're not going to leave that, are you? There's so much in this book no. that, that Wiggler's addresses. For instance, the, the gardening section where it talks about reusing water and the fact that Wiggler's sell water butts to harvest your rainwater to water your garden plants on. Yeah. Using rainwater, you're not just saving money by not using tap water, you're also putting something back into the soil that's more beneficial to your plants. Because mm. small seedlings don't like tap water, it's invariably too alkaline. Lot of water, so there's, there's lot of water kind of about. Lots I mean, of water shortage about. I mean, although we are actually flooded in at the moment, near yeah, enough, yeah. but um, when I was down in Kent earlier in the year, it was really, really dry. But anyway, that's getting off the subject. You've got a slight environmental slant, haven't you? Your background is... Yeah, my... Are well, you my, an eco-warrior? No, I wouldn't say I was an eco-warrior. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a swampy, swampy mark one. <laughs> I'm a country, country boy. I suppose I, I've kind of had a, a reasonable sort of academic grounding and, and I've been exposed to different lifestyles and, and perspectives in the past. But having said that, I always focus on what's sustainable. Yeah. So whilst I'm keen on providing habitat and in, in, you know in, encouraging animal life, I also think that there are sustainable ways of doing that. But it's interesting because when we first met, one of your worries, you subsequently said to me, was the thought of coming to actually work on a farm. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you see because you you, you pick up feelings. I think that, mm. that interestingly enough, Herefordshire is is very intensively farmed, and as a consequence, there are certain farmers that are less sympathetic to their land than others. Yeah. Now that doesn't apply to Phil, but well, I don't as, know as, because as a, in some ways, you know, there's an argument to be had. Well, you Phil's know, we're influenced not by you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 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 but, it's, you know, it's, it's don't beat about the bush. It's interesting that you, from as an, as an outsider looking in, you tend to generalise. Right. So you you know you kind of look at farmers and you know imagine that they're all the same. They're they're all covetous and you know greedy <laughs> and, uh, and just trying to rape the land and get as much out of it as, 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 they, as yeah. they possibly can without putting anything back. Yeah. But no, that's not always the case. Okay, and so looking at it from your side, Phil, who's sat there, his face has gone redder and redder, <laughs> his fists are clenched, and he's grinning, but his eyes aren't smiling. <laughs> Why are you joining in with the podcast? Well, whilst I, I have to agree with a lot of what Richard's just said, <laughs> and I am really honoured to be in the presence of a media star of his stature, it was really the gradual realisation that when... Wiggly's started and obviously we've got the farm and Wiggly's running side by side there were on the face of it a number of conflicts in the relevant thinking of each business and over the years it came to me that actually these conflicts were at least as much imagined as real and that Wiggly's had a lot to teach the farm and the farm had probably got a similar amount to teach Wiggly's and the idea of the podcast and linking Wiggly's to the farm is to try and address some of those conflicts. And if they are myths, 
to actually deal with them and expose them and whilst you know there are extremes on all sides both farming and environmental and so on it's usually the middle ground which is correct but you don't end up at the middle ground without the extremes as heather keeps telling me mm, sure. um, from my point of view i just want to change the world that's all it's <laughs> yeah. not a big deal i would like to see gardening change i'm sick of seeing stripy lawns double begonias barley blue fencing i would love to see everybody wanting a wildlife garden yeah. gardens becoming corridors and the other thing that I'd love to do is just link a little bit of the countryside with the wider audience, and that means farming. You know, I, I really don't think we should be ashamed of farming. Um, I really think that the idea is that farmers are custodians of the countryside, and the land needs to be there for much, much longer than them. And if it's not, let's question it. Let's ask the questions. Let's improve it. Yeah. You know, let's have some dialogue. This podcast to me is a link, a way of asking questions about farming and answering things that perhaps are misunderstood. So if you want to argue with us, get back to us. We want to know. What do you think of that then, Phil? <laughs> well, it's a fairly broad subject, but you mentioned that the word sustainability, in my view, is critical to and part of every farmer's aim. The only reason that different farmers have different ways of doing things is usually because they have different beliefs and sometimes financial pressures move where sustainability features in their thinking so what i'm saying is that they borrow against the land effectively yeah. but in my mind sustainability within agriculture is all about balance rotations and all right in different parts of the country you don't have mixed farming like we do in herefordshire but mixed farming by and large makes sustainability easier and also farming is more than just growing crops or rearing animals. It's looking after hedges, trees, it is the land and landscape. So it includes the bits of woodland, the ponds, and so on. And the management of all these things together is what, in my mind, constitutes farming. See, in my mind, all those things are completely relevant, but also there's the community aspect. You know, I know he's my hero, but Prince Charles said that we need agriculture, not an agri-industry, and the culture is part of the whole thing. And when I look at our village and the decline in farming, it's really affected village life because once a larger farm has absorbed lots of smaller farms, it changes the community as well as the landscape. And now, you know, Phil will argue that it brings opportunities to people that they wouldn't otherwise have, and that's, that's probably true. But I still think you have to have a balance and a mix. Yeah. And somehow or other, we've got to encourage family farms to thrive. And agri-industry, somehow you have to be accountable for what you're doing. And it's no good to me blaming a supermarket. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. The whole farming thing, there are, as well as environmental implications with farming and, you know, and the use of land, there are massive socio-economic implications as well. The supermarket issue is a difficult one, but as a farmer, I feel that supermarkets are with us to stay they're not going to disappear they're businesses that's right they're not just going to give us money just because we whinge and moan no but they also happen to be a highly efficient way of selling food to the general public yeah we all use them however much we decry their pricing policies we all shop at supermarkets and so that as a farmer i believe it is our failure as farmers to persuade the customer of the supermarket 
to ask the supermarket for the products that we want them to sell. Mm -hmm. So that if we complain about cheap imports and so on, it's really because we failed to get the customer to say to the supermarket, we want Herefordshire beef or East Anglian malting barley made into beer and so on, at a premium price, because at the end of the day, the supermarket doesn't really care what the price is as long as it's got the margin. Yeah, sure. And they will do what their customers want, so that it is our failure as an industry to get that information to the customer which causes the supermarkets to have the power that they do. But at the end of the day, the major changes in farming are driven by finance money. Yeah, yeah. And in profitable times... You see all the fences are done nicely and the gates are done nicely and everybody has new tractors and everybody's very happy. When the pressure comes on, the first thing that falls apart are the bits that you can't see a, a direct return on. And that's, that's what happens. You have farms that go towards agri-industry because you can borrow, as I said before, against the land. Mm. And even if you do it sustainably, you know, you're not going to worry about hedges or boundaries and after the war we saw miles of hedges pushed out in the interests of efficiency yeah and what we have to get back to is a balance that allows us to maintain the landscape as everybody wants but at the same time you have to pay enough to be able to afford it the new zealanders have come to that conclusion and they're not prescriptive about how their farmers farm well, they, they don't have any subsidies do they, they don't they don't but, that's but they also the take thing, the view it? that their farmers make a profit and they then encourage them, having made a profit, to make the landscape that they live in nice. What I'm saying is that if you are prescriptive to farming in terms of what it does, most farmers will rail against it. And when prescriptive measures come out, it usually means less profit. It's a double-edged sword. The pressure goes doubly onto these businesses. And the first ones that fall apart are the smallest ones, the most traditional ones. They ought to be the backbone of the whole job you're going to have an amount of agri-industry and you're going to have a number of farmers who, for want of a better phrase, are frankly useless. But in the middle, you have this group of people who run perfectly good businesses, but they just can't make enough money to survive. Absolutely. Plant of the week, Rich. OK, thanks, Heather. Well... Alison, what's this green thing you've just thrust into my hand? Well, this is a teasel, Richard. Isn't it lovely? It is a fantastic plant. And Heather, you're banned from commenting on this plant because I know it's one of your favourites. So, Alison, so what does this turn into exactly? It looks what? like a, a combination of spinach leaves at the moment. Yeah, well, it, it always remains quite lush. It has an amazing seed head. It grows up to about two metres high. Um, and the goldfinches actually feed off the seed. Oh, and wow. they absolutely love it. But after the, all the seed's gone out of the seed head, you can actually put your own seed into the um, seed heads for the birds to feed on throughout the winter months. Wow, yeah. what, what sort of seed can you put on the seed heads? Uh, Niger seed is really good because it's uh, slim nice. and it fits down into uh, the Oh, wow. Things. And what sort of birds are you likely to attract on those seed heads then if you do um, that? Goldfinches. I've seen loads of goldfinches on teasel. Oh, yeah, they are beautiful yes. as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's it. So these teasels, what could you expect to see on them when they're in flower? Well, the flower is um, like a lilac colour. They flower between July, August, maybe into September. 
And you can see um, many types of different butterflies, um, small copper, common skipper, and the common blue is very popular oh, wow. um, with this plant. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, that's amazing, isn't mm. it? And of course, the bees as well, you see all sorts of bees yeah, on Yeah, they absolutely love it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting that when it does blossom, the flowers turn out in circles, don't they? It's got yeah. kind of concentric rings around yeah, it's the it's not very often you see head. a complete flower head on a teasel. It's sort of really bitty and they right. seem to fall off very oh, pretty. Wow. Do you think this, this is fairly easy to grow, this plant? Very easy to grow. It self-seeds readily, um, although the seeds can stay dormant in the soil for up to two years, God. which is quite amazing. But yeah. the, the amount of seeds the one seed head would produce, um, there's no worries about having a load of teasel in your garden. So this is a, a worthy plant for anyone that's thinking of putting something there that's good for inverts and good for birds. This is something that they could plant in their garden. I think it's a wiggly top ten plant yeah, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the top ten bird plants. Well, thanks very much, Alison. And I think, given that I'm on such a roll, I'll introduce little Monty and his weekly Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. If you have a microscope and look really, really closely at each segment, you will see something that looks like a bunch of small hairs or bristles. These bristles are called seti and they help them move. Okay, thank you, Monty. That was excellent. Well, just to remind you listeners that our competition is soon going to be coming to a conclusion, so the question again was, what colour were the Devon cows in Farmer Phil's weekly forecast? So thank you very much for subscribing anyway, and uh, I guess that's it from us. Yeah. So where's, where's Heather gone, Alison? Well, I think she's gone to look for that pink cow. She's convinced, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.